the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have an enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afwakwa. Pastor Afwakwa is the founder and general overseer of Embassy of Life Chapel, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Come with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1 to 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1 to 5. Apostle Paul is starting his concluding remarks to his son in the Lord, Timothy. And he was giving him charges. Somebody say charges. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, the first charge, he said, preach the word. Turn to your neighbor and say, preach the word. He said, preach the word and be instant in season. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with complete patience and teaching. For the time, somebody say the time. The time is coming when the people will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching. They will not endure sound teaching. How many of you believe that this is the time we're living? That is the time we're living. Apostle Paul was prophesying. He said the time is coming that people will not endure sound teaching. And this is the time. People come to church and they're excited about everything else except the sound teaching of the word of God. He says the time will come where they will not endure sound teaching. But having eaten ears... They will accumulate for themselves teachers to seal their own passions. Teachers to seal their own what? Passions. They will speak about things they want, the things they are excited about, the things that they love to do. But he said unto him, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I'm glad you are here for the truth of the word of God. Then he says in verse 5, let's read it together. As for you, Always be what? Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's take it again. As for you, always endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Over the period, we've been looking at cultivating spiritual habits, and we talked about the habit of prayer. We talked about the habit of studying God's word, the habit of fellowship. And then, I think that's where we got to. And we want to move into something that is also an important spiritual habit. But we'll be teaching it under the subject of doing the work of an evangelist. Somebody say, doing the work of an evangelist. That's what the Bible says. He said, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. And that is by doing the work of an evangelist, what he's simply telling you is that cultivate the habit 
of sharing your faith with others. Praise God. Doing the work of evangelism. The word evangelism or evangelization comes from a Greek word evangelion. There are actually four basic forms of this very word. The word that we see there. One is translated as good news. Somebody say good news. Okay, so sometimes when you pick one English word, the Greek will give you several translations. One translation of the word evangelize or evangelism is good news. Good news simply defines the message. Good news. And then again, it also means to proclaim good news. To proclaim good news. To declare good news. When you have good news and you hold it back, it's no longer good news. Good news is good news. When the information is shared with the person to whom the information is beneficial. Am I communicating somebody? That's it. When we share the good news with the people who need it, then we say we are doing them good. And then, of course, number three, there are two versions of the word translated as proclaiming the good news. And one also translates it as the one proclaiming the good news. In other words, that is the evangelist. All right? Now, let's look at a few scriptural references to what I've just shared with you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Did you see the gospel of the kingdom there? The gospel of the kingdom. The word gospel there is good news. That is the word that is translated as gospel, good news. Again, in the book of Matthew 24, verse 14. Let's read it together. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached for a witness unto all nations. And then, okay, so this gospel, this good news. Somebody say this good news. Okay, this good news of the kingdom must be proclaimed unto all nations. Then the end will come. Matthew 26, verse 13. Matthew 26, 13. He says, Verily I say unto you, let's go, wheresoever this gospel Okay, wherever this gospel, that is the word I want you to take note. That is the first translation of the word uh, good news. Alright? So again, in Romans 1.16, it said, I am not ashamed of what? I'm not ashamed of for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe, to the Jew first and to the Greek. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 3. It says, for if our good news is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. <laughs> that's, that's very powerful says the reason why people are lost is because they don't know the good news. That's why you and I have a responsibility to make sure that they get to know. We have a responsibility to make sure that those who are around us get to know this news. Okay, so that is the first translation of the, that Greek word evangelion. Now, look at the second translation that has to do with to proclaim. To proclaim the good news. To proclaim the good news. Mark 16 verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every... Preach the gospel to every... 
Go and proclaim the good news to every creature. Luke 14, 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had anointed me to proclaim, to proclaim, let's work with good news, to proclaim, anywhere you see gospel, just put good news there, to proclaim the good news to the poor. To preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set a liberty them that are bruised. Okay. At 16.10. At 16.10. After he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to proclaim the good news unto them. Okay. Let's look at Romans 1.15. So, as much as in me, I am ready to do what? Preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And look at Romans 10, 13 to 15. Romans 10, 13 to 15. He said, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Somebody say, everyone who calls. Alright. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved or shall be saved. Give me the ESV version, please. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then would they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone? Without someone? Without someone? Okay, so for unbelievers to come to faith, scripture gives us a certain systematic process that must be followed. One, the good news must be proclaimed by someone. They need to hear, and then when they hear, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But for them to hear, someone must proclaim it. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. He said, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Somebody say, we are sent to preach the gospel. Say, I am sent to preach the gospel. I am sent to preach the gospel. Alright, so that's who you are. You've been sent to go preach the gospel. And that is what an evangelist does. Okay, and then the third explanation or way that word is defined or explained is evangelist. Somebody say evangelist. And I know when I mention evangelists, you are thinking about all the evangelists who have lived. Some names will quickly come to mind locally and some names will come to mind globally. But an evangelist is someone simply who proclaims the good news. The Greek word means a bringer of good news or good tidings. And that is who you are and that is who I am. We are bringers of good tidings. Somebody say, I'm a bringer of good tidings. The word was used to describe a number of people. One, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21, verse 8, on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist. House of Philip the evangelist. Philip was described as an evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with them. You remember when the church was born first, they appointed seven deacons. Philip was one of the Later on, he stepped into the office of an evangelist. 
And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, let's look at Ephesians 4, 11. And he gave the apostles, he gave the apostles, the prophets. All right, this is ministry gifts. Somebody say ministry gifts. Okay, so there are gifts of the spirit and there are gifts of Christ. This is one of the gifts of Christ. The Bible says, and when he had ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. The King James says, he gave gifts unto men. To some, he gave apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some teachers, pastors, and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. All right. So we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 5. We read that earlier, but it's worth reading it again. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and in his kingdom. That you do what? Give me verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded. Somebody say, be sober-minded. And your suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Praise the Lord. The focus of a teaching is doing the work of an evangelist. What does it mean to do the work of an evangelist? It simply means to bring, do the work of bringing good tidings to people. In this case, we are looking at the good news of the kingdom. Somebody say the good news of the kingdom. Okay, so there is the work of an evangelist. One of the things I want you to be able to understand before I get any further is to appreciate that there is a difference between the work of an evangelist and the office of an evangelist. Somebody said there's a difference. What's the difference? The difference is that one is an office. One is an office. There are people who have worked in that office. Billy Graham worked in the office of an evangelist. Very international evangelist. Rehan Bonke was one of such evangelists. And usually, you identify the office by the gifts that accompany the people who operate in that office. Much, a number of people and the resource that office comes. I will come to teach about the ministry gift or the gift of Christ. And each of them is unique in its own way. There's a gift of the pastor. There's a gift of a prophet. There's a gift of a teacher. There's a gift of an evangelist. An evangelist has a call to bring the gospel to people wherever they may be. In the scriptures, we see one man who is specifically named as serving in that office. And we see him stand in the office in his full stature. Look at Acts chapter 8 verse 4 to 8. Acts chapter 8 verse 4 to 8. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They went about preaching the word. So they went about doing the work of an evangelist. They were not evangelists, but they went about proclaiming the word. Then he says in verse, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Look at verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by him. And when they heard him and saw the signs he did, for unclean spirit crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lamed were healed. So there was much joy in that city. It's almost synonymous with what Jesus said in the book of uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said, go ye and preach the gospel to every nation. It's 
every time we give ourselves to this task and we do so faithfully and in the power of the Holy Ghost, that's what happens. He says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. When Philip went and proclaimed the gospel, the Bible said the sick were healed, demon possessed people, where, where demons came out of those who had them. Praise the Lord. So Philip stood in the office of an evangelist. But I can almost tell you that for most of us here, we may not have the office, we may not be called to the office of an evangelist. But all of us are called to do the work of an evangelist. Somebody say, I'm called to do the work of an evangelist. That's why we need to know the work, understand the work, and that's going to be the focus of the teaching. You have to understand the work. I'm just laying the foundation for it. You have to understand the work of the evangelist and see how God expects you to carry out this task. Let's see one or two people who did the work of an evangelist in scripture. One of them is a woman called the Samaritan woman. John chapter 4, verse 28 to 30. So the woman, maybe we can start from 25. Okay, so we remember this woman. How many of you remember this woman? Okay, this was a woman who had issues and the story unfolded itself. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a, a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11. Then the woman said, let's read together. Sir, you have nothing to draw and the well is deep. This, this is a very interesting episode. We will come back to it to pick up vital lessons for fruitful evangelism from it later. But if you look at the account, it was progressive. They had a conversation and the conversation went on. He started asking for water and she was angry. Then over time, the woman became calm, began to address him properly. From who are you to ask me for water? To now say, so we continue. Let's look at verse 12. He says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, let's read it together. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him spring of water welling up. Alright, so if you have received Christ, that is the amount of water that is inside you. Praise God. That is why we cannot be uh, singing certain songs again. Fill my cup, Lord. There is a well of water in you. You don't need a cup. He said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. When rivers of living water have been promised you, you don't go with a cup. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Look at verse 15. He says, the woman said to him, Sir, respect is coming into the conversation. <laughs> Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. <laughs> she had been coming to the side for a long time. Jesus said, go and call your husband and come here. This is Jesus also doing the work of an evangelist. This is Jesus in his evangelistic ministry. 
He ministered to the crowd and he ministered to individuals. And if you look at it, Jesus was manifesting the gift of the Spirit. And if you are going to be effective evangelists or be able to do the work of evangelists effectively, one of the things we need to endlessly covet is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not the gift of the Holy Spirit. That one is already in you. But the gift, the Bible says, covet endlessly the best gift. The gift of the Spirit, we need to covet the gift of wisdom, the gift of word of knowledge, the gift of revelation. Jesus engaged the woman and started manifesting the gift. He says, go and call your husband and come here. Jesus knew the right thing to pick. He picked information from the Spirit because he knew. He says, the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. Now look at the beauty of the Spirit of Revelation. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Imagine that these gifts are manifesting in you and you engage someone. Praise the Lord. And these are gifts. That is what the gifts are for. They are not just for taking advantage of people. They are for advancing the cause of Christ. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not. What you have said is true. Verse 18. He says, the woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> I perceive that you are a prophet. I perceive. I perceive. I perceive you are a prophet. So from Seth, now he's saying a prophet. Look at the progression because she discovered Christ for herself. Our fathers worship on this mountain. Now that I know you're a prophet, let's talk about worship. We change the topic from this water to now worship. If you're a prophet, tell me. Our fathers worship on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Who told him that was what Jesus said? Jesus said to a woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Look at verse 24. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. Have you seen the progression? Yeah. From give me water and speaking arrogantly to changing it to say and to prophet. Now he says, I know a Messiah is coming. <laughs> he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Because you have started telling me some things. But I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he has a responsibility to tell us all things. Then Jesus said, I who speak to you, I am he. I am he. You see that in all of this, Jesus didn't tell the woman who he was. Praise the Lord. But as the conversation unfolded, one after the other, being guided by the Spirit of God, the conversation was directed by the Spirit of God to the point where the woman came to a place of knowing that he's a Messiah and then going ahead to talk about him. Look at verse 27. He says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. You know, it was unacceptable to do that. Let alone a, Samar a Samaritan woman and a woman 
by herself. Because any woman who will come to the well alone to fetch water must have a questionable character. Usually at that time, if they were going to the well, they came in groups. So to appear there alone means that there was something you were hiding. And for Jesus to be engaging this woman alone, Jesus, since you came, we have never seen you with any woman. What's going on here? After all, you said you were hungry and we were supposed to go and get you food. And while we are going getting the food for you, we came and you are busily talking as if you have eaten. So the Bible says they ask him. He's talking with the woman. Then verse uh, 28. <laughs> I'll come back to the later part. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, take note, said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Praise the Lord. Look at verse 39 to 42. 39, 42. Let's read it together. And many Samaritans from the town believe in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. Two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to him, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. Now imagine, one woman was able to bring a whole city to the Messiah. And she manifested no supernatural gifts. She just went and declared. She just did the work of an evangelist. There are different ways we can do this work of an evangelist. But we'll come back to those the various methods that we can engage to evangelize to people around us. But this woman went, one of the methods she used here was to share her testimony. Praise God. He said, come see a man. He has transformed my life. Come see a man who has shaped my destiny. Come see a man who has saved my marriage. Come see a man who has shaped my future. That was the testimony. And all the others deserve the same testimony. So the Bible said they came. They came and encountered. Again, we also see the early church, the early disciples doing the work of evangelism. As 8.4, he says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Christ wherever they went. That's what they were doing. They were proclaiming the word anywhere they went. If it is their workplace, they were proclaiming the word everywhere they went. They also took the responsibility to share their faith with others. And likewise, you and I have also been sent with the same mandate. Somebody say we've been sent with the same mandate. We have the same mandate. What is the mandate? Is the mandate of doing the work of an evangelist. Look at what Jesus said. John 20, 21. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. How did the Father send him? The Bible says, The Son of Man came not to condemn the word, but through him that the word might be saved. Are you with me there? Now look at Mark chapter 16, verse 15 to 18. Mark 16, 15 to 18. He says, and he said unto them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them they will lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. 
Tonight, having established the foundation and the introduction, we want to look at the question of how important is the work of evangelism? How important is this work? Why is it so important that we learn about how to do this work? Why must we learn how to do this work? We have a responsibility to execute the task of evangelism. Why is it so important? The first reason is that Jesus came on earth primarily to do the work of an evangelist. That's what he came to do. And he said, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. He came primarily with the task and with the business of doing the work of evangelism. Look at what the Bible says. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save. He came to seek and to save. He came to seek and to save. And if you, you remember the context, it was when he had gone to the house of Zacchaeus. And then the Pharisees came. They said, ah, what are you doing here? Maybe we should read from verse 1. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. So while he was seeking for Jesus, Jesus was also out seeking for him. But on the account of the crowd, he could not see because he was small in stature. Verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. Verse 5. Let's read it together. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Look at 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He had gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. How many sinner friends do you have? Amen. How many sinner friends do you have? Because you need them. Somebody say you need them. Yeah, you need them. I know we preach about association, association. But you see, we have, we have a purposeful relationship with sinners. Amen? That's what the Bible says. He that witness souls is wise. He is wise to be able to keep company with them and not allow them to influence him negatively. Because that's the only way you can win them. Most of the time, when we say we should invite people to church, the reason why we don't even have people to invite is because we have not established any strategic relationship with sinners around us in general. You don't have any sinner. Even how you won't say to them. You have become a Pharisee, you know. That's what they were doing. The Pharisees will not identify with anybody. And they themselves will not correct themselves. He said he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Look at what Jesus said. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded any of anything, I restore it fourfold. Verse 9, Jesus had not spoken anything. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house, since he is also a son of Abraham. Now verse 10, For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus came. So if Whatever we know of Jesus is coming, principally, he came to seek and to save the lost. From Genesis, God lost the man he created. The man he was in harmony with, in fellowship with. The man broke his relationship with God. And God instituted a program to restore man to himself. 
And in Christ, the fullness of the program came into manifestation. So when Jesus came on the scene, he was coming to fulfill a prophetic agenda, which was to seek and to save the lost. Look at uh, where we read earlier. John chapter 4, verse 31 to 35. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Now, you remember, this is where the disciples had come back. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And they were wondering, what kind of food? What did the woman give him? <laughs> he says, verse 33, so the disciples said, has anyone brought him food, something to eat? Verse 34, Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish, accomplish. What was he talking about? Context is everything, evangelism there. Praise God. What had so occupied Christ that he couldn't even think of eating was his engagement with the woman. By the time he engaged the woman and the woman responded the way she did, he was full. Because that was what brought him joy and fulfillment. Then he told his disciples, verse 35, he says, do not say there are yet four months and there comes a harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see. The fields are white for harvest. May our eyes be open to the harvest fields. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. When Jesus was on earth, what was he doing? This was the ministry. This was the assignment. All this is from God who had through Christ, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Verse 19, let's read it together. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself. In Christ, that's all. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. When Christ came, that was his ministry. He was reconciling the world to himself. He was reconciling the world to himself. As long as he was on earth, his business was to reconcile as many people as possible to God. That was his primary ministry. And when he departed, that ministry was handed over to us. Somebody say, I have the ministry now. And I will fulfill it. Now look at number two. Number two. The first reason why the task of evangelism is critical and very important is because that's what our master came to do. You see, a servant is not above his master. Somebody say, a servant is not above his master. You see, increasingly, the reason why I'm teaching some of these fundamentals is that increasingly the church is coming to a place where people get born again and they don't know what Christians do. When you are a Christian, what do you do? What is the work of being a Christian? This is one of the works of a Christian. This is one of the works of a Christian. This is what we do that identifies us as true Christians. Doing the work of evangelism. Reaching out to lost souls. Getting them saved. Getting them established. Number two is that it is the main task Jesus committed to all of his disciples. This is the main task. This is the main task. This is the main task. Jesus was about to depart and he called his disciples and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always. Second Corinthians 5 verse 18. And all things are of God. Somebody say all things are of God. All things are of God who had reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ 
and had given us the ministry of reconciliation. Somebody say, I have a ministry. It is to reconcile all men unto God. That is it. That is a primary task. One primary responsibility. Before we think of ushering, before we think of singing, before we think of doing anything for God, the first thing we are called to do the moment we are born again is to make it our business to win many others to Christ. In fact, the context of this scripture actually makes it very clear. In the book of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, 17 is where you come to the faith. And I mean, the ministry is so important to God in such a way that the moment you come to faith, he gives it to you. He doesn't wait for you to uh, grow in the Lord. You don't have to attend evangelism class and be taught how to evangelize. The moment you get born again, that is a ministry that is given to you at birth. It shows you of how much great importance it is to God. He said, for therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Verse 18. Then he says, all things are of God. Now that you have become a new creature, understand that all things are of God. Who has reconciled you to himself? And he has given you through Christ and has given you the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the word unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and had committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Praise God. And we'll be going through the word of reconciliation because we, we are looking at, next week I'll teach on the mandate of evangelism. That will look at methods of evangelism. That will look at the message. What message do we carry about? What do we present to people as a gospel? That's what we are seeking to. Because you see, sometimes we think we are evangelizing, but we are actually scaring people away from the kingdom. You don't reconcile two enemies with threats. You don't do that. You don't do that. When they form uh, the reconciliation committee, it was not a place of uh, passing judgment on who they were just to hear people out and to give people the opportunity to be heard. That's what they did. The moment we pass judgment of condemnation on people, we cut them off. He says he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Number three, the third reason why the task of evangelism is important and we need to take it very seriously as a church and as believers is because the Holy Spirit was given principally to equip and empower us for the work of evangelism. Somebody say the Holy Spirit. Say the Holy Spirit was given principally to equip and empower us for the work of evangelism. And that's why you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was not given to you just to speak in tongues. No. The Holy Spirit was given you principally so you will be equipped and empowered to be an effective witness of Christ. He says in Acts 1.8, and you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto all the uttermost part of the earth. Now look at when the Holy Ghost came, what happened? Acts chapter 2 verse 2, and suddenly they came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and they filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them 
as the Spirit gave them. Now look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received the word were baptized and were added the same day about 3,000 souls. This was Peter. When the Holy Ghost came, Peter was timid. Peter was somebody who could not defend Christ before a little maid. But when the Holy Ghost came, his timidity gave way to boldness. Peter boldly proclaimed the word before an audience of 3,000 plus. And by the time he finished, 3,000 souls came under conviction and they were saved. How else could they do that? They could do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a principal work. If you look at all through the book of Acts, you see that the Holy Spirit is work with them in establishing God's agenda of making the gospel known to others. Acts chapter 4, verse 23 to 31. Acts 4. This was when Peter, Peter and John had healed someone and then these things began to happen. Then when they were released, they went to their friends and reported that what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, look at this. They lifted up their voices to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? Who through the mouth of your, your father David, of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. He says, for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Verse 28. And to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to do, to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with what? To speak your word with what? If you read the book of Timothy, the Bible says, For God has not given us the spirit of what? Timidity, but of power and of boldness, so we can communicate the word of God. Praise God. That's why you have the Holy Ghost inside. The Holy Ghost is not just for your personal, private edification only. That is important. Praying in tongues is important. But when you are prayed in tongues, it should translate into boldness in communicating the gospel to people when you come out of your prayer closet. Can somebody say an amen? amen? If you can pray in tongues for hours, but when you come out of the prayer closet, you don't have the courage and the boldness to communicate the word of God. I doubt which Holy Spirit is living inside you. Because that is your responsibility. He empowers and equips you to communicate the word of God with boldness to everyone that comes your way. Look at what the Bible says. And Lord, look on their threats and grant with boldness. Look at verse 31. And while you stretch your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. And look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, what happened? The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled why feel with the Holy Spirit? They were asking for boldness. Why would they feel with the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit's ministry is to empower us with boldness to communicate the word of God. They didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. They didn't ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They had been filled in us too. But they said, we need boldness. He said, you need boldness. The boldness is in the Spirit. And so they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says, they spoke the word of God with boldness. From today, you speak the word of God with boldness. 
Receive the courage and the boldness to communicate the word of God. Number four, it guarantees much less earthly and eternal rewards. The task of evangelism is highly profitable in this time and in the time to come. That's why we need to take this task seriously. That is the only task Jesus came on earth to do. He came, us, he came on earth to show us how to get it done. So we'll be learning in the, in the course of it, we will learn how to evangelize from Jesus firsthand. How Jesus evangelized. And if you look at the story we read earlier about the Samaritan woman, I'm sure you have already gleaned some lessons from there already. The vital lessons. You can look at Jesus witnessing to people, whether it was one-on-one or it was a, a corporate setting. There was always a unique way Jesus presented the gospel. And we need to learn it like that and be able to present it in all its simplicity. The presentation of the gospel guarantees rewards. Look at this. John 4, 35 to 36. Do you do not do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Jesus is speaking to them. He says, stop procrastinating. Oh, we can preach the gospel. Next year we have time. We still have time. It, it's, it's like, it, it's amazing why increasingly Christians seem to have time for everything except the business of soul winning. We have time. We make time for our personal errands. We make time to undertake courses to advance ourselves. We make time to advance our businesses. We make time. But time to make reach out to souls. We seem to think that people can be saved at any time. That's what the disciples were looking at. He said, don't say that I have four months. We still have more time. Today is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. That's what he told them. Lift up your eyes and look for the Fields are white already to be harvest. And then verse 36, look at what he said there. I like it. He said, and he who reaps. Somebody say, he who reaps. Uh-huh. He who reaps. He said, he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. In other words, you see, I, 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 I'm tempted to believe the wages is earthly. He said, you receive wages and you gather fruit for eternal life. So there is something you are gathering for eternity. There is something that is being credited to your account. What is being credited to your account? Coming to church is not credited to your account. Praise God. It's a good thing. It's a good discipline that helps you to be a good Christian. But what gets things credited to your account is the business of soul winning. Praise God. Paul was talking and we'll get there pretty soon. Mark chapter 10. Look at this. Mark chapter 10 verse 28 to 31. Peter say, began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Somebody say the gospel. Say the gospel. Say the gospel. Uh-huh. There are Christians. They make sacrifices in their worship of Christ, but they don't make great sacrifices for the gospel. There are two different things. Serving God will cost you something. Sending the gospel across will also cost us something. Praise God. It costs us several thousands of CDs to put the word of God on radio every month. And there are faithful, there are people here who are faithful in committing to that cause. But there are others who cannot be bothered at all. Our monies are stuck up in investment. Praise God. Yeah. 
He says, for the gospel's sake. This is Jesus speaking. He said, for the gospel's sake, for my sake and the gospel. For my sake and the gospel. For my sake and the gospel. Then he says, for those who do such, they will receive a hundredfold. Somebody say, I will receive. That is uh, giving that you are part of those who are giving for the gospel. Who are making time for the gospel. Who are advancing the cause of the gospel. He said, who receive in this time, hundredfold. In this time, houses, brothers, sisters, and uh, mothers, lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Somebody shout, eternal life. In the book of uh, uh, Daniel, he says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. All earthly stars have their season and their time. They come and go. When Smith was reigning, on the day of his reigning, it became his day of going down. They rise fast and they go down. But the Bible said kingdom stars will shine forever and ever. And those who become kingdom stars, they are not stars because of the, the kind of place they live, the kind of car they drive. They are stars because of their investment into the eternal gospel of Christ. Can somebody say an amen? amen. Say an amen. amen. Paul is speaking. Apostle has finished his mandate and is about to go into glory. This is what he said. 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8. For I am now ready to be offered. I'm ready to be offered. I'm ready to die. And the time of my departure is at hand. Look at verse 7. I have fought a good fight. When you finish your course on earth, may you fight a good fight. It's not everybody on the planet that fights a good fight. There are people who fight political fights. Political fights. Professional fights. But not gospel fights. The good fight has to do with eternal fights. Fighting for the eternal souls of men. Engaging heaven so that multitudes will come to the saving knowledge of Christ. He said, I fought a good fight. You see, when you read the scriptures, you always have to situate it in this right context. Or else you just quote and put anything inside. Yeah. I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And we see the course we are talking about. Not a PhD in something. It was a course that had to do with sowing. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now he says, now there is laid up for me. I like that. There is laid up for me. There is laid up. Now, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. A crown of righteousness. A crown of... You see, when you become worldly, eh, you don't think about what is laid up for you there. The Bible says, do not love the world. When the Bible says, do not love the world, it means don't embrace the values of the world. Yeah. Don't become accustomed to the values of the world. Don't become so bogged down with matters of these things that are very transient. He said, there's laid out for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of those that love his appearing. How do we demonstrate our love for his appearing? We demonstrate our love for his appearing by actively engaging lost souls for the Lord. Because that's what the Bible tells us. He said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all nations, then the end will come. So if you want the end to come for real, what you do is that you aggressively evangelize. Somebody say aggressively evangelize. Let's look at the context of what Paul said. Because the summary is what we read. Let's look at Acts chapter 20, verse 22 to 24. Acts 20. Now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. So this is a man who is en route to Jerusalem. 
He's going there, and the Holy Ghost, a prophecy comes. He says, when you go there, amazing things are going to happen to you. He says, no, I don't care about what's awaiting me. Send the Holy Ghost witness in every city that bones and afflictions abide with me. Look at verse 24. He says, so none of these things move me. Not all the revelations, none of the revelations that were coming moved him. He said, neither count I, my life, dear unto myself, so that I might what? Oh, read. So that I might what? So I might finish my course with what? When you read the book of First Timothy, what did you look like somebody who was sorrowing dying? He was happy dying. He was he had finished his course with joy. That may finish my course with joy. What is the course and the ministry which I have received of the Lord to testify of the gospel of the grace of God? That's that's for that's for that's for. Investing our lives and our resources, our time and energy in the gospel is eternally profitable. Somebody say eternally profitable. Eternally profitable. Eternally profitable. Eternally. There's a book I recommend to you if you are a serious Christian. Join us book. Read it. When you read it, your values will change. If you are a very serious Christian, your values will change. What really, what makes people matter in heaven? Revelations that are very consistent with scripture. Amazing revelations. The final quest, the, the final call, and all of those books. When you read those books, you, your values will change. Your passion and the things that drive you crazy will change. Apostle Paul said, this is it. My joy is to finish my course. And by the time I'm finishing, I should testify of the gospel of the grace of God to everyone. When he was about to go, he was excited. Go. He said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Why? A lot of investment had gone there. A lot of investment. A lot of investment. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 to 20. And listen, even while we are here, the future, those who become outstanding in this life, in this church, will be people who become gospel-minded. If you open yourself up and you allow the spirit of wisdom and revelation to take hold of you and you put what I'm teaching to practice, even before we get to the other side, your investment in the kingdom of God will speak for you here on earth. Can somebody give me an amen? amen. Yeah. God is not lacking resources. He's only looking for people he can entrust with the resources. And there are many people who think they have a heart for God. When God certifies you as having a heart for him, nothing will be too much for him to give to you. Praise God. He doesn't have a problem with resources. The earth is the loss and the fullness thereof. See, sometimes you think about it and you are like, how come unbelievers have a lot of wealth? Because Satan also gives wealth. Praise God. Yeah. He told Jesus, I will give you all of this. And there are some of us, even if God gave it to us, coming to church will be a difficulty. Right now, what we have, we are not even doing much with it. How will he give much to you? The Bible said to him that much is given, much is required. He that is faithful in the letter shall be faithful in much. Praise God. Eternal rewards. First Thessalonians 2.19 and I close. First Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope? All joy and crown of rejoicing. This is Paul. What is my hope? What is my crown of rejoicing? <laughs> he said, what is our hope and our joy and our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? He says, listen, when I think about heaven, I'm looking forward to joy. I'm looking forward. There's a crown of hope. There's a crown of rejoicing I wait for me. 
And that crown is you, Thessalonians, because you are my work in the Lord. Who is your work in the Lord? How long have you worked with God? How many people have you personally witnessed to and established and disciple in Christ since you got born again? How many? See, that's what shows that you're a Christian. No? Your Christianity is not in coming to church. Your Christianity is in how many souls you evangelize, you establish, and then you disciple for the Lord. That is what makes you a Christian. And that is something that the modern day Christian does not know how to do. Most modern day Christians, when somebody gives his life to Christ, what to even do to help the person become established? If you ask the average Christian, he cannot do it. That is why I've been telling you that in this new phase, I'm not going to waste time on anything that has no eternal value. No, 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 no. I'm not going to raise Christians who have names on it but are valueless in eternity. No. Even if it's one person who will come along, I'm ready to carry the person along. Praise God. But if you are ever going to make a difference in heaven, it will start here. Praise God. It will start here. And I pray that the grace of God will come upon you. The revelation of the word of God will have full effect in your life. Open your mouth and begin to speak to God. Pastor Afuakwa has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. Share your testimonies with us on 020-422-5790 or email us at embassyoflifechapel at gmail.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afuakwa on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at www.embassyoflife.org. Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our service at our headquarter church from 8.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. for our good news service. And on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Our church auditorium is located on the top floor of Nanama Ejakuma Plaza opposite the Unity Oil Station, Santata Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. Alternatively, you can join us online for our services on Embassy of Life Chapel, Facebook or YouTube pages. God richly bless you. No,